Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Hendersonville Show. Before getting into things, I want to apologize, first and foremost, uh, for the delay in getting this episode out. Things have been pretty busy around here, so this will likely and unfortunately be the last episode for some time. Now, with that said, Mike Martin is on the show today. And for those who don't know, Mike is the leader of Save Old Hendersonville, a group of concerned citizens who want to preserve historic Hendersonville homes and businesses. For context, we recorded this a couple months ago back in August, so there may be some outdated references, particularly the part where we talk about the old Sanders Ferry Pizza restaurant and try to figure out what's going on there, which is obviously a tailgate brewery. If you haven't been there, you should definitely check it out. So without further ado, I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Mike Martin. Mike Martin, welcome to the podcast. Appreciate you coming on today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. So um, basically you are from, or the organization you have is Save Old Hendersonville, but I see your signs, you know, in yards and various places along primarily on Walton Ferry Road, Imperial, that area. Uh, So can you just talk a little bit about what Save Old Hendersonville is? Yeah. So, um, Save Old Hendersonville is a, a, a group of us uh, in the neighborhood and some of us out of the neighborhood who, who found out that uh, there's high density uh, apartments that are being planned, most notably the, the one at uh, 217 Schimmel. So we kind of organized and printed up the signs uh, to, to show support and created a, a website. The, uh, the location of Old Hendersonville it centers around, or what I call old Hendersonville is uh, historic Hendersonville. Mm-hmm. And it centers around the intersection of Walton Ferry and Main Street. Um, that was the original town center prior to uh, the, nine, uh, the 1830s. Uh, and it was built on the Gallatin Turnpike stage line, which is now Main Street. Uh, a- after the railroad was constructed around 1860, the town shifted north uh, of there behind the first Presbyterian church that was built around 1869. And okay. just on the other side of Walton Ferry is uh, Shivel Drive. That's the location of Hendersonville's uh, first subdivision. Uh, and that was built back in 1937. Uh, and if you drive through there, the, the streets still have, uh, they're still named after some of the original builders hmm. and, and early residents. And so Shivel's uh, up kind of back towards Walton Ferry, but like by, the, I think there's a McDonald's or Arby's and stuff like that right around there. Yeah, correct. Right, right through there. Okay. I'd say the whole area extends between Main Street and Plumley, and between uh, Gene Brown Elementary and Walton Ferry. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, it's it's good to have that boundary because I think a lot of people, if you just came into Hendersonville, you wouldn't notice a quote unquote old old town or downtown or anything like that. So good to get our bearings. So l- let me ask you this, kind of going off topic, but like, what uh, why why is there no real town center in Hendersonville. You look at, you know, a more extreme example like Franklin that has this awesome historic town center. What, what is it in, in your opinion, if you know, like with the history that makes Hendersonville different, it, does it have to do with the railroad and that coming in, it kind of shifted everything. Um, I'm, I'm curious if you know anything about that. Yeah. So I'm not sure why uh, there, there was no town uh, center. Um, and I think there wanted to be one um, over by the Presbyterian church. Um, but that, that got, uh, filled up with, with stores and, and stuff like that. That would have been a, a reasonable place to put one. 
Um, as for the history, I, I don't know why why we don't have one. You know, and maybe it goes back to uh, you know the the road Main Street um, and its history as uh, you know bringing in goods and services, uh, and then later on building in the train uh, the train tracks, and so that created another shift. Um, but that that's a great question. I, I don't know why. Yeah, it'd be um, interesting to. I mean, I know if you look at old historical maps of Hendersonville, there's, you know, large plot. It was probably farms, right? A lot of farms. So you didn't have a, a massive population that would come into a town center. So, may, I mean, maybe that's it. And then eventually you have cars and then the need for a town center uh, goes away. So I was just curious. Yeah. So I don't know, but I, I think we kind of have one. So whenever we want to do stuff like, like um, where we would have, the Gallatin Town Square, you know, they have events and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, fun stuff like that. Uh, we do the same thing, but we do it at uh, the Indian Lake development. So, yeah, that's right. Uh, right. So um, let me ask you this. So you mentioned the Shivel Drive uh, project that's going in, and there's been multiple iterations of that from what I've seen on your website and BOMA meetings, et cetera. So can you talk a little bit about what that is and how that's uh, transformed from like the original proposal from the developer to where we stand now? Because um, it's my understanding that it is moving forward. Correct? Yes. yes. Okay. So it is. And um, it, it's got a short history. It was uh, originally a three-story apartment building, uh, which I think it had uh, 17 units ranging in size from 400 to a little over 500 square, square feet. Mm. Uh, and it was planned by uh, the developer, Steve Lofter and, and, and Donovan Degree. Um, they, they purchased that lot or the lot at 217 Shivel uh, for that purpose. And it's, it's a small lot. It's about 120 feet wide, uh, but it's a deep lot. So it goes back uh, 350 feet. Uh, it has a, one of the original single family homes on it that was built uh, in 1936. It, it's a beautiful looking house. It, I, you can yeah. pull it up on Google Maps and, and see it for anyone interested. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so their original planning submission, uh, you know, was rejected, and they resubmitted a similar apartment complex, uh, but it was a it was a two story version, um, but it had the same seventeen small units, um, and that was about the time the neighborhood got organized and and, and raised a fuss at uh, City Hall, um, and their develop uh, the developers and, and their attorney uh, Marty Cook they they withdrew it from the planning agenda that night, um, but they said they wanted to talk with. Uh, the neighbors uh, to reach a compromise. Um, so we were we were excited about that, um, and they were sincere. They they contacted me, and we had a, an online discussion uh, about some ideas that could uh, you know represent such a compromise. Uh, one of the one of the things we discussed, uh, or one of the options, was doing six or eight townhomes uh, on that lot. Okay. Uh, I think another one we discussed was you know keeping the same. Uh, shell of that building, but reducing the unit count, uh, but increasing the size from 400 square foot per unit to, you know, a minimum of a thousand square foot. Okay. So just to, to reiterate, the original was 17 units is what they were talking about putting in. Is that right? So I believe so, yes. Okay. And and just for context, you, you may not know, but what's the acreage on that? I'm trying to translate feet to acres, but it sounds it's like- It's 1.1 1. 1 acres. Yeah, that's not- that's not big uh, by any means. Yeah, and um, it's not a square. So it's a, a narrow lot. And um, 
it's, it's really caused them problems trying to, to locate the building, maintaining the setbacks, uh, and providing the, the required parking spaces on them. So it's, it's, a, it's a tough lot to work with. So you mentioned, um, like yourself and other neighbors uh, were, uh, you know, upset or had, had concerns with this. So what, what were the primary concerns? Did it have, have to do with traffic? Was it, was it more just like, Hey, this is a residential area you're putting in this, you know, massive building. It's out of place. Uh, like, what did that look like? Uh, so the concerns from the group uh, with, with high density housing uh, is the wear and tear on infrastructure. Um, you mm-hmm. know, like I said, building code only requires the developers to provide one and a half parking space spaces for for unit so with 17 units that's only uh 26 parking spaces Mm. but in the real world uh you know a couple will rent a unit uh they both have cars and if you add the occasional guest you're looking at a need for over 40 parking spaces Uh, and since they're only providing 26 the remaining 14 spaces uh they'd have to park on the street and the problem with our old streets in that neighborhood is that it's just raised paving you know, we don't have curbs. We don't have shoulders to park on. Um, the asphalt edges would, would crumble up mm-hmm. uh, just, just from that use. And I think one of the aldermen or planners mentioned that uh, every residence averages seven trips per day. So the vehicles entering and exiting that one property would go, you know, from seven from that original house to 119 a day. Seven. I mean, seven seems high. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I just stay home a lot, but um, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's a good point. So it sounds like, I mean, to use an economist term, externalities, right? Like there's, there's a cost to society more so on, on the neighbors in that area that is being incurred by, by Hendersonville people and it's not being paid by the developers. Is that essentially what it comes down to? Well, I mean, that, that's a tough question. Um, uh, talking with um, the mayor uh, about that issue, um, you know, it, it sounds like the initial costs are covered, but the long-term costs for the infrastructure, mm-hmm. especially road maintenance, you know, is covered by the resident. And I think he said that less than half is covered by future taxes uh, on, on the additional property taxes. The average Henderson, Hendersonville uh, resident pays $350 in property taxes. Uh, the average cost of city services for the people in that house would be $900. Oh, wow. uh, the new houses are, are net loss for the city of Henderson. And, and that deficit you know, forces Hendersonville to rely on sales tax more, okay. uh, grants, which are much more cumbersome, uh, and of course, borrowing. And if you saw the mayor's uh, uh, city, state of the city address uh, at the Hendersonville, at the Hendersonville Area Chamber of Commerce, I think on YouTube, then you can really see how much inflation is, is hurting us. Gotcha. So you, you mentioned there's, there's quite a big deficit or gap between the, the cost that these residents would incur and the, the tax revenue. So is that, is that because they're smaller units? So we're getting, you know, the property tax on them is under a thousand dollars, I'm sure, uh, on an annual basis. Is that essentially the cause? Right. So um, it's, it's a piece of property that same 1.1 acres uh, used to have, you know, two toilets on it. Now it's going to have you know, 17 times two, and it's going to shed the water that it used to soak into the ground uh, is now going to make its way out to, to the street, mm. put a, a, an additional load on our uh, storm system. Gotcha. 
So it's, yeah, I, I used to think that basically whenever you increase the, the number of homes, property taxes go up, and then you have the revenue to cover those residents. But I heard it explained to me recently that basically that works to some extent if you're doing everything on a per capita basis, but with growth, there's incremental cost increases, whether it be the cost of building a new school, which is vastly more expensive than just inserting a, a kid into an existing school, right? So it's stuff like that. Right. I mean, the, the kind of growth that we're seeing here in Hendersonville is sort of unprecedented, at least within our history. So it's just like, how do we, how do we grapple with that kind of stuff? Yeah, it's pretty extraordinary. And if you add on uh, inflation, you know, it's not just $900. It's more expensive right now. I think that fire hall, last year they estimated it to be about $2 million. And I think they got their bids back and it was a little over $4 million for the same project. Wow. That, yeah, that's uh, that's a considerable difference. So let me ask you this, if, if you know the answer, but I mean, what what are your thoughts on increasing the maybe a tax of some sort that would go on the developer, right? So if, if these costs are incurred um, and we determine, hey, it's going to be a million dollars over the next 20 years to you know, put the infrastructure in place, we're putting the tax on the developer for that fund, those funds. Would that be an equitable solution or are there other intangibles that, that need to be? So I, I think that's a great solution. That's what Metro does. Um, okay. I don't know if Hendersonville does that or not. Um, if they don't, they should. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that tap fee should go up, you know, at the same rate as the inflation at that time. So without having having the opportunity to take a look at it, um, I, I'm hoping that they do. And I'm hoping I do get to take a look at it. But that'd be something um, that we need to to promote more. Um, you know, in Nashville, if you build something in a, in a lot, um, and the utility services aren't there, you have to extend those services to your property uh, on, your, on your dollar. Um, in fact, Metro Water has their own uh, approved details. Uh, you're gonna build it just like they would build it and they're gonna come out and inspect it and make sure it meets their, meets their design criteria mm -hmm. uh, you, or you won't get your use and occupancy. So I think a model like that is something uh, I'm hoping we're following. Okay. And, and so that, that kind of leads me to my next question. And we exchanged some emails before this, um, but it basically has to do with like, how do you find a fair balance between like individual property rights and, you know, what, what you call say the optimal community or the optimal solution, whatever it might be. And it sounds like that may be one solution, right? So you, you have your property rights, you can do what you want on your property, so long as you're not infringing on the rights of others, be that through increasing taxes or consumption, that sort of thing. So I'm just curious your thoughts there, because there are some people who are like, hey, if you own this lot, you should be able to do whatever you want there. But there's always, you know, you have to draw a line somewhere. So curious your thoughts there. So by optimized community, are you talking like a, a master plan? So, I mean, I, I guess in, in zoning circles that I've heard of, you, you have like the master plan where the city comes in and says, okay, we're putting the supermarket over here and like a truly planned community from the top down. But then there's also just zoning regulations that say, you know, on a small level, um, you have to have an easement of 15 feet between houses or something like that. So, and there's a, a vast array of items in between that. Yeah. So um, with, with, with that type of master plan, I, I believe the key to a fair balance is to align the master plan um, goals and objectives with uh, infrastructure. You know, in, 
existing infrastructure, it's hard to expand and extend. Um, whereas new infrastructure like out at Indian Lake, um, that's already in place. You know, it can support high density and the older stuff is supporting what's there right now. The, the zoning has to catch up. The zoning allowed for high density housing. So this project met, you know, or appeared to meet the zoning code. Okay. Um, and it's going to be hard to find a balance because, you know, they purchased that property with the intent um, to do what they were allowed, what they're allowed to do. And the neighbors are, you know, are going to be irreparably harmed uh, to some level. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, with the 217 Shibble Drive, I think a fair balance is to hopefully meet um, an agreement between the developer and, and, and uh, the neighborhood. And I think it's going to be more than what future developers will be able to do in the area, but hopefully less than um, the maximum that they, that they could do now. The fact that we're still talking and, and corresponding, I'm, 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 I'm hopeful that we can reach that. Gotcha. So if, if you had to guess that the original was 17 units going in, if you had to guess, if, you, if you're even willing to go there, how, like how many units are we looking at at this point? So uh, the two options that we talked about uh, online were, uh, you know, doing the row, row homes. So that would be six to eight. And there's plenty of, of space left over to, ag- to accommodate parking and, and some other amenities. Um, and then the other one, I think that would be a, a, a reasonable, um, you know, agreement would, would you know, if you, is to move that building to the back. So we don't have to cut down the trees and have it dominate the, the streetscape. Okay. But instead of have 17 small units, have, you know, eight, eight or nine premium large condos, um, you know, so you, you have a lot less units, um, but they have the same square footage. So they're still charging the same amount uh, dollars of, for square foot for rental uh, that they are, you know, or for selling. I'm hoping that that's the, uh, the balance that we're able to strike. Okay. That makes sense. So obviously the Shivel Drive project is a big passion of yours. Are there any others that uh, are, I, I know there's others going on right now, but any others that you're passionate about or would like to at least bring awareness to that people should know about? So the only one I, I know about is um, the one on Imperial. I think it's 235 Imperial, which is uh, right next door to. Um, is that by stadium? Yeah, stadium and uh, next to, to Gene Brown. Okay. Um, and they're going to put, you know, that, that was a, a large, I guess, farmhouse and, and real nice property uh, that was purchased. And they're putting in like 40, 41 uh, townhomes on it. Um, and, and they're building it right now. Mm-hmm. That's the only one I know about um, as far as developers submitting on other properties in the area. I don't know of any. Um, I think there's rumors that, uh, that some developers have been quietly purchasing and accruing uh, properties with the hope of, of amassing two or three that are contiguous and being able to turn that into to one large lot and to, to put in some apartment buildings. But whether gotcha. that's true or not, you know, I don't know. I hope not. All rumors at this point. Right. Do, do you happen to know anything about what's going on with the old Sanders Ferry Pizza property? Because about, about a year ago, that was a big debate about putting, I think like a seven story apartment building in of some sort. Do you know anything about that? Um, and it seems that, like it's still on hold. It, it's zoned industrial, right? I, you're asking the wrong person. I unfortunately don't know. Okay. Um, I, I'm not sure. Um, it might be, um, it might be a, a development that, that 
that they're going to zone for um, for housing for a, a group that does um, uh, women and and children. Um, if, if they're abused, they have a, a, a place to go and okay. they can stay there, and they'll, they'll help. They, they will help them there. And I think our, if that's the right one, I heard that in the uh, uh, one of the planning commissions while I was waiting for us to speak. And I think that's a, an amazing development. So if that's the one that, that, you, that we're talking about, then, you know, I, I hope that one does go through. Yeah. I, I was just curious because it, it seemed like about a year ago when Sanders Ferry Pizza moved out and they went down towards Lincoln Cafe, that, that was a big, a big hubbub for, for a while. And then it seemed to seem to drop off. So um, good deal. So I shifting gears a little bit, we talked a little bit about inflation and I, I want to tie that into home values. So if you if you track real estate prices here in Hendersonville or just Nashville in general, even across the country, they they've gone through the roof over the past, you know, really the, the two years, there's been this massive rise in, in real estate values. And one of the one of the causes is not enough supply. There, there's not enough homes available. So what are your thoughts on the whole idea that? By restricting the amount of homes that can be built. So in, in the case of Shivel Drive, not picking on that one, but going from 17 units to say cutting that in half, does that decrease in supply then inherently keep home values up or continue to boost them? I, do you have any thoughts there? And like what, what might be a, a fair balance? So, um, you know, I guess there's two schools of thought on that. Um, you know, the price for rent charged at 217 Shivel uh, could, could be higher you know, because it's in a beautiful neighborhood versus being situated mm-hmm. um, amongst other large competing apartment complexes. But the other side is the home values for the neighbors. So the, the two two neighboring houses, you know, their value is going to go down. Um, nobody wants to live in a house that's right next door to a big apartment complex and the traffic in the north. Right. So that's a balancing act too. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And I, I guess the critics would say, well, if you own the property, then I mean that—that's more the libertarian mindset. But you—you you could go either way. You, like you have to, at some point, you have to take into account like what harm is it doing to others, whether that's physical, whether that's monetary, that sort of thing. So, it's a—it's a tricky, nuanced balance, that's for sure. Well, you know, in the in, in the developer's shoes, you know, they're not from out of town. Um, oh, so these guys are these are local. Yeah, I thought they were from out of town, and and once we kind of started looking into it. You know, I think Steve Steve Lofter lives in Hendersonville, and I think uh, uh, Mr. Degree lives in Gallatin or, or Sumner County. Okay. Um, so I don't think they're in, intentionally trying to offend everybody in the neighborhood. In fact, they reached out and said, "Hey, let's let's talk about it. And let's let's find a balance." And so they can do whatever they want because you know they purchased the lot and it was zoned to do you know, what they wanted to do. But I, I think the fact that they're being reasonable and talking to the community, you know, they can do whatever they want with the property, but, you know, they're being respectful for the, for the neighbors and talking to us. So that's awesome. Cause I mean, sometimes you hear about these stories where it goes to court and they're duking it out, which is never ideal for, for either party. Yeah. And when people hear a uh, lawsuit, you know, everybody kind of tenses up. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think, they're just doing their uh, due diligence by filing, you know, before any uh, zoning ordinances are changed or anything, you know, to, to preserve their right. And, and you can't blame them for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like I said, they're communicating with us after they filed. So 
you know, I, I'm hoping that we can reach, you know, end up with something that everybody can live with. So it sounds like from a developer standpoint, if we could have anyone in Hendersonville, it's, it's these guys who are local, who have a vested interest in the community and aren't just, you know, I, I remember signs seeing some developer from New Jersey coming in and they were doing all sorts of stuff. I, yeah. I don't know the details, but uh, there were some signs about it. So right. uh, definitely not ideal. So Mike, one, one last question for you. And it really just looking ahead forward thinking, which, you know, you mentioned you're in, you're in architecture, you're in, you're, you're in building. So I'm sure you think about this a lot, but what, what is your vision for either Hendersonville as a whole or old Hendersonville for say next five years, 10 years, whatever it might be. Um, what does the future look like to you? So believe it or not, I, I think it should look something similar to the original 2007 master plan. Okay. You know, that plan included a, a town square uh, at the intersection of Imperial and Stadium, uh, of which Hendersonville has still maintained ownership of that lot. Um, and you could build a, a lot on there. It's a good sized piece of property. Mm -hmm. uh, and the master plan included other great amenities, uh, like it, it had a greenway and a bike path uh, down Imperial from Stadium all the way to, to the lake. And I believe Andersonville has retained ownership of those properties too. And, and that would be a, an inexpensive, you know, low-lying fruit to, to, to develop and, and, and do. I, I like a lot of what's in that master plan, except for the high-density component. Um, and, and remember, the master plan was done before Indian Lake was built. And, and now that Indian right. Lake is thriving... And already has, uh, you know, the infrastructure to support high density housing. You know, it doesn't make sense to have high density housing in old historic Hendersonville with the old utilities undersized. You know, it, it makes sense to move it out to where it's already been planned for. Um, so just from so, a, a logistics like building standpoint, it's easier to dig a new trench, run the lines rather than dig up all the existing stuff. It's just it's more cost effective. You're not having to run through old stuff. Is that essentially the gist of it that's correct that's okay correct. that makes sense yeah um, so you can't reuse stuff that's undersized if it's undersized you're gonna have to add a supplemental line or dig it up and put it in a bigger one and so that's that's doing the work twice whereas you know any like hey we're gonna size it up to to accommodate all this stuff uh that we're planning for and they installed it one time and all the developers have to do is build on their lot come out tap into it um and and they're ready to go you know, I think that's why Indian Lake uh, thrived and where developers chose to spend their dollar uh, versus the, the master plan that showed them doing that in, in the old historic part of Hendersonville. Basically because the, the cost they would have to incur to build there was prohibitive to some extent. That's, gotcha. that's correct. Yeah. And so, you know, they all have pro formas and a spreadsheet and a line item um, with a dollar figure. And, you know, if they have a bigger dollar figure uh, of revenue in one location versus another uh, for the total project cost, they're going to build there. Sounds good. Well, I, I'm, I'm with you 100 percent. I think that that 2007 plan is awesome. Um, hard to believe it's been 15 years and we still haven't done a lot with it. But, the, you know, there's various reasons for that. Taxes, obviously, Indian Lake that you mentioned, but it would be, it'd be very cool to see that come to fruition, specifically the, the greenways, which I feel like I talk about all the time. Um, I, I would love to see a lot more of those yeah. just connecting everything. Yeah. It, it, you know, that one runs all the way down Imperial and, uh, you know, ties into uh, Old Hickory Lake. Uh, I, I think that would be huge. And I, I don't want anybody to think that we're, we're anti-development. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, 
we we all liked the, the master plan. Um, it you know it it was unfortunate because it was published and and you know drafted in two thousand six, published in two thousand seven, and what happened in two thousand eight? We we had the recession. not ideal timing. Yeah, nobody's building anything then, and I mm-hmm. think that was like a five year span where nobody was 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 doing construction. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 good part is that Indian Lake did did uh, continue on. So. You know, I think the master plan is great. I think uh, Ken Free is going to, I'm sorry, Keith Free is going to, uh, to, 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 to look it over and make some adjustments, uh, bring it up to, you know, to modern, modern uh, standards and uh, kind of make, make it his own. And, and I'm looking forward to seeing that. I, I think they just got the economic uh, development uh, plan for it. They've already got a design team approved. I think they've got a hundred thousand dollars of design fees for them to, um, for them to, to do old town residential and old town commercial properly. So I'm looking forward to that. It'll definitely be exciting to see how that, how that transpires. So Mike, let, let me ask you this before we close. Do you, do you have any asks of, uh, of the audience of people of Hendersonville um, or if people are interested in uh, save old Hendersonville you know, where they, where can they go? I'll obviously link up the website and everything in the show notes so people can, you know, find out how to get involved, um, request signs, that sort of thing. But any, any uh, last requests of the audience? Yeah, I appreciate that. So um, the, the website is, is www.saveoldhendersonville.com. Uh, my email is, is mikemartin97 at comcast.net. And those are the two ways we, we kind of uh, communicate and interact. And, we would love to, to have more folks out there, um, you know, to join us and um, stay current on, on the progress of not only 217 Shibble, uh, but over the next two years as uh, they start to develop this, uh, the new master plan uh, mm-hmm. for Old Town Residential in Old Town. Um, so, uh, and, and again, I, I love the fact that you have this show uh, and I look forward to, to promoting it on, on my website because I, I, I think that's great. Yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate that. And, you know, maybe we can do this again sometime soon and, and there'll be uh, good news to share from some of these developments and everything going on. So yeah, good follow up. Yeah. Appreciate your time. You bet. Thank you to everyone who tuned into this episode of the Hendersonville show. And thank you to Mike Martin for this awesome conversation. Since recording this, Mike shared a recent update on the Shovel Drive property that I'd like to read from before we close. Tonight, I received the developer's response to reaching a more reasonable agreement with our neighborhood. The newly submitted site plan shows the building moving back from the street about 10 feet. In exchange for moving the building back 10 feet, the developer wants to build a three-story building instead of a two-story building. The units will be larger units at about 1,000 square feet instead of the original 400 to 500 square feet. The unit count will be reduced from 15 to 12 and be spread out across the additional 5,800 square feet the developer is requesting. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. And until next time, stay classy, Hendersonville.